turn to Nehemiah chapter 2, because we're going through the book of Nehemiah. We'll probably always start there in this series. I think we'll start there. And then also turn to Luke chapter 10. So if you'll put a marker at Luke chapter 10, and then open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 2, all right? I heard this story a while back, and I just thought it was a cute story. There was a guy that uh, retired, moved to a new city, and after a couple of years, he just kind of got bored and wanted to do something. And so he decided to be a greeter at Walmart. Have you seen the nice men and women that greet you when you walk in, you know? And so anyway, he did that. And about two weeks after he took the job, he got there a little bit late. And this uh, real young, you know, guy that didn't know a lot, but that was his boss, said to him, what would they have said to you at your other job if you had gotten there late? And he thought for a minute, and he said, they would have said, good morning, Admiral. (laughs) I just kind of thought that was cute. It doesn't have anything to do with the message. But anyway, we're in a series entitled The Blueprint, God's Master Plan for Your Life. And we're talking about how that Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, relates to us today. Now, here's what we did. For the first few weeks, we looked at the literal meaning of Nehemiah, the literal interpretation that Nehemiah was concerned about the Jews and Jerusalem. Now we're going to begin talking about the spiritual analogy, the spiritual symbolism in Nehemiah, all right, and how Nehemiah relates to us, okay? Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11. So I came to Jerusalem and was there... Three days. Then I arose in the night, and I and a few men with me, I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate to, now once you notice he goes to four places, to the serpent well and the refuse gate. Those are the first two places he goes to. And viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down, and its gates which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate, here's the third place, and to the king's pool, the fourth place. But there was no room for the animal under me to pass, so I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate, and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I not yet told the Jews, the priests, The nobles, the officials, are the others who did the work. Now, I want you to remember that no one knew what he was doing. He did this at night. And we're going to come back to that in a little while, right? Now, we're looking at the spiritual meaning of the book of Nehemiah. What is the analogy? What is God saying to us through this book? Well, let me explain something to you. Nehemiah is a type of the Holy Spirit. He represents the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you why. His name means comforter. His name means literally one who is comforted by God or one who comforts by God. But let me tell you some other reasons that I think he's a type of the Holy Spirit. He is sent on a mission by the king. And he's sent on a mission. And remember Jesus the king said, when I leave, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And when the Holy Spirit came, what did he do? He built the church. He built the spiritual city or the spiritual Jerusalem. Nehemiah was concerned, and the same thing with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is building the structure that allows the people of God to live in peace and safety. And that's the church. 
And that's exactly what Nehemiah was doing. As a matter of fact, again, as we're talking about the spiritual analogy, let me just show you a a scripture before I get to Luke 10. Hebrews 12, verse 22 says, But you, you have come to Mount Zion. Now, let me just ask you, let me pause right there. How many of you have ever been to Mount Zion? Can I see your hand? Well, the Bible says you have. So see, it's not talking about a literal mountain. It's talking about a spiritual mountain. Watch, it's very simple. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church. Mount Zion, the city, the heavenly Jerusalem, is the church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made Perfect. By the way, that's one of the greatest phrases in the Bible. To the spirits of justified men made perfect. I've been justified by the blood of Jesus, and because of Jesus, my spirit has been made perfect. That's good news. By the way, the other service got more excited than you did about that. So that's the first rebuke. Don't make me do it again. But it says that this Mount Zion, this city of the living God, is... The church. Now, the church again has not replaced Israel, but has been grafted in. And we're the people of God, and there is now a heavenly Jerusalem. There is now a city of God, a heavenly Mount Zion. And that's what Nehemiah is concerned about rebuilding. It's interesting that he was in Jerusalem three days before he did anything. For three days he wasn't doing anything, but then he began his work. It's also interesting that he rode out of the gate on a colt, and Jesus rode in to that gate on a colt. So there are a lot of similarities, a lot of symbolism in this. Alright, let's look at the four places that he went. Number one, he went to the serpent well. The serpent well. Now, this is nowhere else in Scripture. This is the only place that you'll find the serpent well in the Bible. It is nowhere else in the Bible. And so I called Peter Hirsch, that spoke a few weeks ago, our Messianic Jewish rabbi pastor on staff, and I said to him, tell me everything that you know about the serpent well. He said, it's in Nehemiah. (laughs) I said, that's all you know about it? He said, that's all any Jew knows about it. We, that we don't know where it is. We've never heard of it before. But Nehemiah had heard of it. Why is it in here? I think it's in here because obviously I think it represents deliverance to us spiritually. The first place he goes is the servant. Well, let me tell you some things about the some conjecture about it. No one really knows. Uh, it's also called in the old King James the dragon well. Uh, some say that the mouth of the well was in the shape of a dragon. Some say that the, the well itself was in a serpentine figure, therefore called the serpent well. But one story is very prevalent about this well that I think is pretty good. The well was a good well, it had good water, and then one day the water became bad. And people began to die when they drank the water. But shortly after that, a serpent crawled out of the well... They took a stone and crushed the head of the serpent with a stone, and then the water was made good. (laughs) Well, I don't know if that's a a true story or not, but I like it. So we're going to call it that way tonight, okay? Because think about the symbolism 
of how the enemy gets in and poisons everything and how the cornerstone, the stone that the builders rejected became the cornerstone, crushed the head of the serpent, and now the water's good. You see what I'm saying? So I think it's obvious it represents deliverance. Now, go to Luke chapter 10. I want you to know that before Nehemiah, the type of the Holy Spirit, can rebuild Jerusalem, the type of the church, he wants to go check out four things. It's very, very important, the four things he checks out. The serpent well, the refuse gate, the fountain gate, and the king's pool. I think for sure this represents deliverance. And let me tell you why. Serpents all through Scripture represent demons. Even Satan himself appeared as a serpent in the garden. All right. Look at Luke 10. It's important now. We're going to see Jesus talk about serpents. But since we, so that we know what serpents are, look at the verses before and look at the verses after. All right? Luke 10, verse 17. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, Really? <laughs> I just always get tickled when I read this. Do you, do you think that Jesus was shocked? That demons were subject in his name, <laughs> as if demons are anything at all to him. Alright, but notice verse 17 says demons. The subject is demons. And he said to them, I saw Satan, notice the word Satan, fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy. Notice the word enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits, notice the word spirits, are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Now, I'm trying to figure out what serpents and scorpions represent. And before serpents and scorpions is ever mentioned, here are the two words that I want you to notice. The topic is demons and Satan. And then after he says serpents and scorpions, he uses these two words, enemy and spirits. Demons... Satan, enemy, spirits. And Jesus said, they said, boy, even the demons are subject to us. And Jesus said, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions. And over all the power of the enemy. But don't rejoice that the spirits, the demonic spirits, rejoice your names written in heaven. You tell me what serpents and scorpions represent. It's clear as it can be. And that's the Lord Jesus talking. So, the first thing the Holy Spirit does is He wants to restore the authority that we have over demonic, over the demonic in the church. That's the first thing he wants to do. Let me tell you why. And I'll just tell you, the other three gates represent the, the three baptisms that are all through Scripture. The refuse gate represents salvation. The fountain gate represents the water baptism. And the king's pool, where they anointed kings to rule and reign, to be empowered to reign, represents spirit baptism. Here's why I want to show you this. Before you can see... Those things, you're going to have to understand that there are demonic spirits that are trying to stop you from seeing the Word of God. Listen to me. I was raised in a church where we didn't understand about the power of the Holy Spirit. We didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. When I went to college, Baptist college, the uh, pastor said to me, I'll never forget this. He said to me, now when you go to college, you're going to meet some uh, different types of people. And he said, here's what he said to me. He said, If they start talking about the Holy Spirit, beware. Can you imagine? And then he said to me, and if they call him Holy Ghost, you know they're gone. (laughs) I could not see about the power of the Holy Spirit until the first thing I saw in the Word and God knew, I saw the demonic. And I saw we're in trouble. And I understood because you know what? I was saved and I was still in bondage. 
I really loved God and I wanted to do the right thing, but I still had some stuff I had to get off of me. And once I got it off of me, this whole book opened up to me. And then I could see the other things. That's why Nehemiah, the type the Holy Spirit says, I've got to first restore the understanding that we have authority over the demonic. Because the demonic spirits are the ones that are blinding people to the Word of God. You follow me? So here, here's what I'm saying to you. I want every one of you to go through freedom ministry. Every one of you. I noticed over here Pastor Bob. He's excited about that, but he's also a little bit scared because I just said that. But he did a great job. You know, when we started the church, I said, I want to pastor over deliverance. We looked over the whole world to find someone who was balanced because a bunch of them are kooks. They're just kooks. And when we found Pastor Bob Hamp, we said, that's the man. That's, that's the one God is there. And when he came, I started saying, as soon as he came, I started telling him, I want you to go through freedom ministry. And he developed a system. Last year, we took 6,000 people through freedom ministry. That's pretty good. Now listen to me. It's, it's every Monday night. It's every Monday night. All you got to do is just show up here tomorrow. Now listen. Have you ever had a bondage? Have you ever had something in your life that you say, I'll never do it again, never do it again, never do it again, but you keep doing it again? Are you in bondage to fear? Are you in bondage to insecurity? Are you in bondage to pride? Are you in bondage to jealousy? Are you in bondage to lust or pornography? Listen, Jesus died so you can be free, but you're going to have to come. You have to let us help you to get you free. And it's just a four-week class, and then we go through a personal session, but every person can do it, and you can come at any time. All right? It's the first thing the Holy Spirit wants to restore, for the church to be the church. Here's the second thing, the refuse gate. The refuse gate is where they took the trash, and literally the dung, that is what one word, the old King James calls it, the dung gate, out of the city. This obviously represents salvation, because it's when you get the junk out of your life. It's when you get the trash out of your life. It's when you get the sin, the horrible sin that doesn't do anything for you when you get it out of your life. And here's what I want to ask you. Have you truly been born again? Have you truly had a born again experience? Because many, many people have grown up in churches that do not teach and preach a true born again experience. And they're really trying to do the right thing, and they're trying to get their life right, and they're attending church, but they, they just continue to fall. They never can seem to get ahead. They look at others and they don't want, and they think, well, there's something wrong with me, and it's because you've never had a born again experience. Many men, many men have never had a true born again experience. Men, some of you will be in hell before your wife ever dials 911. You want to know why men, many men aren't saved? Because they won't surrender their pride. They won't bow their knee. They'll attend church with their wife, but they won't bow the knee. They still run their life. And let me just tell you, because someone needs to be honest with you, if you're here today and you're a man and you're still in charge of your life, you're going to hell. You're on your way to hell. Because Jesus is Lord. He's Master. He's God. And if you don't want Him to be Master... He will not be your Savior. Is this okay? You need to listen to me. Some of you men, please, please, you come to church, you enjoy it, you like me, I'm a cool guy. But wouldn't it be horrible to go to church and never go to heaven? There's a lot of people do that. Many people even join the church, go through the class, and join the church like you join a civic organization. But the church is not an organization, it's an organism, and the only way you get in is to be born from above. Only way. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. Listen to me, you don't have to turn over a new leaf, you can get a whole new life. Supernaturally. 
Let me show you something that we call the Roman road. Maybe you've never even seen this. It's real simple. Every one of you ought to memorize this to be able to share Christ with your friends. Romans 3.23. It all, all these verses begin with the word for, by the way. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 10.13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, just come on. Just, just listen to me. All is sin that comes short of the glory, and because of this, their punishment for sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus, and whoever asks for it can have it. It's pretty good. Matter of fact, let me take the word for and, and substitute the word since, and then ask you a question at the end. Since all is sin that comes short of the glory of God, and since the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And since whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, then why not call? Then why not call? Okay, let me say it again because you didn't get excited enough. This is the second rebuke. Don't make me come back there. <laughs> Did your parents ever say that? Don't make me come back there. You don't want me to come back there. Since all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Since the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, and since whoever calls will be saved, why not call? Why not call? Why not call? Doesn't that make sense? Why not call? So if you're sitting here today, and you're not sure if you died, you'd go to heaven, then when we give the invitation, come down and call on the Lord. It's that easy. So that's the second place he went. Third place he went is the fountain gate. This is where you wash with water. Everyone wash at the fountain gate. Obviously, this represents water baptism. Let me read you some verses. Romans 6, verse 3. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Colossians 2.12 Buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were raised with Him through faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead. Galatians 3.27 For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, there is an old man that we're to put off, that we're to cast off, that wants to talk to us all the time. And there's a new man that we're to put on. But let me tell you what this is telling us about baptism. In baptism, we identify with the burial of Christ. The death and the burial and the resurrection. And what he's saying is, let the old man go under the water. Let the old man be put to death and let the new man be raised with Christ to walk in newness of life. If you have not been, and many people have never been water baptized, and again, it's pride. They say, I'm just too old now, and people will think bad things, and they already thought that I've been water baptized. Some of you are water baptized as children, but you've been born again since then. You need to be water baptized after you get saved. Doesn't that make sense? If you get water baptized before you get saved, you just get wet. (laughs) There's no work of God in your life happening. There's no burial of the old man and raising in the new man. That happened, buried with him in baptism. There is an identification with the death, burial, and resurrection and a work that God does in our hearts through water baptism. So if you're here 
and you've not been water baptized since you truly were born again, swallow your pride. You cannot walk in the overcoming Christian life. You can be saved by being born again, but you can't walk in the overcoming Christian life without water baptism and spirit baptism. These are the three baptisms through Scripture. Salvation, water, spirit. And here's the fourth place he went, the king's pool. The king's pool is where they anointed kings to rule and reign. Let me say it another way. It's where kings were empowered to rule and reign. We believe at Gateway Church, if there's any doubt in your mind, we believe in the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And we are not ashamed of the Holy Spirit. We will never be ashamed of the Holy Spirit. Never. We believe in the Holy Spirit because I'm telling you, you cannot live the Christian walk without the Holy Spirit. And isn't it amazing that people are warned about the Holy Spirit? God, the one who empowers you to live this life. The Holy Spirit is the most active, least credited member of the Trinity. At this time, He's the most active. He's God on earth, right? Right now, He's God on earth. The most active of the Trinity, yet the least credited of the Trinity. And we're warned about Him. And watch out for Him. You want to know why? Because when the baptism in the Holy Spirit was restored to the church, and we're talking about a rebuilding here that the Holy Spirit is doing, when the baptism in the Holy Spirit was restored to the church, Satan got upset. You want to know why? Because when the baptism in the Holy Spirit first came, here's, here's what was said later in, in the book of Acts. These people have turned the world upside down. And now they've come to our town too. The people who were baptized with the Holy Spirit. They've turned the world upside down. Let me show you a couple of scriptures. Acts chapter 1 verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you've heard from me, from me personally. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. These are already believing disciples. These are believers. But you need to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. And then verse 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria to the end of the earth. Here's a question for you. Is there anyone here that doesn't need power? Because that's what he said you get. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. To be witnesses. You want to know why Satan hates it so much? Because you get a Holy Spirit-empowered church and everyone is going to hear the gospel. It'll be up to them whether they receive it or not, but the gospel's going to go out. And so Satan hates this. These three baptisms, salvation, water, spirit, salvation, water, spirit, this threefold thing, and he restores before the power over the enemy so that we can understand this. It's all through Scripture. Acts chapter 2, Peter said, Repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. Repent, salvation. Be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 8, when the Samaritans got saved, when they got saved, they got saved, water baptized, spirit baptized. Acts 10, when the Gentiles got saved, they got saved, then they got spirit baptized, then water baptized, because Gentiles always get things backwards. But, you still have to have the three. And then Acts 19, that Paul came across some people, they got saved, got water baptized, got spirit baptized. All through Scripture. All through Scripture. Here's the type of the Holy Spirit, Nehemiah. And he says, you know, we've got to rebuild the city. We've got to rebuild the church. And I better restore some things. Here's what I need to restore. I need to restore power over the enemy. 
so they understand and so they can see the Word. We've got to restore salvation. We've got to restore water baptism. And we've got to restore the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, the church can never be rebuilt. Never. Now, let me encourage you in something. Pastor David gave a, a great word at the end of worship. And he said, how many of you just need to stand? You just need to stand. What a great word. Maybe you're going through a difficult time right now and you feel like God's not really working. Anyone ever had that? God's not really moving. God's not answering prayer. You're, you're having a tough time. You kind of feel stagnant maybe in your Christian walk. Well, let me just remind you that Nehemiah did this at night when no one knew what he was doing. He said, no one knew what I was doing. I hadn't told anyone. Here's what I want to tell you. The Holy Spirit is working even when you're not. The Holy Spirit is working, here's another one, even when you're sleeping. The Holy Spirit is working even when you don't think He's working. He's still working. So I want to encourage everyone, the Holy Spirit is working in your life. But here's the question I have for you. We talked about deliverance, salvation, water, and spirit baptism. Here's the question I have for you. Which one of these four do you need? Today, right now, which one do you need? Do you need freedom from bondage? Let us pray for you. Do you need to have a true born-again experience? you got to come forward. When we have the invitation, let us pray for you. Do you need to be water baptized? Come forward. Talk to us about it. We'll set it up because we do it once a month. Or do you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Quit being afraid of the very power that will give you victory in this life. So which one of these four do you need? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.